We work with a couple of different, I'll say, groups and networks that are in the turnkey space, and they educate potential buyers on here's how the process works pretty much nationwide. And then they'll connect people to individual markets, depending on what their goals are or what their appetite is for price point. So really, any buyer that's looking for cash flow on a renovated property with some modest appreciation, and they're comfortable spending between 140 and 200K, they're going to end up probably talking to us here. And again, if it makes sense, if there's comfort level and everything like that, and the numbers work for them, they'll likely purchase a property. That's been our experience for people coming through to uh, main like turnkey networks that we're a part of. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Xander Cruz. Xander is a turnkey provider based in Baltimore. And in this episode, Xander will tell us how turnkey companies buy, rehab, rent, and sell properties. We'll be going over who turnkey properties are great for and when it makes sense to get one. If you're new to this podcast, welcome to the show. If you thought it was informative and engaging, consider subscribing to the podcast. We release episodes every Wednesday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. This episode is sponsored by Conventus Lending. Conventus is a hard money lending company based in the Bay Area and has funded over $2 billion over the past few years. We offer competitive rates and amazing service. And for being an Everything Real Estate Investing Show listener, you'll get a discount on your processing fee. So whether you're looking for a bridge loan for your next fix and flip project, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan on an investment property, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get the process started. All right, Xander, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Sure. Thanks for having me, Sean. I'm really excited to be here. I go by Xander. My full name is Alexander. I'm one of the partners at CR of Maryland. We are a investment company here in Baltimore, Maryland. We now really heavily specialize in the turnkey space. Although that being said, we've kind of done it all. We evolved into a turnkey company from originally a fix and flip, and then we became a rental company building our own portfolio, which we still have. And now our main focus is buying, uh, renovating, and selling our turnkey product, which we then manage. But we still do the occasional flip, and we actually have a wholesale division as well. So kind of cover all the bases. Awesome. And how did you get started with real estate investing? My partner actually started way before I was in real estate. So he's been in the business since 2004 and was really heavy in the fix and flip world for most of that, doing a high volume of homes, which is still what he was doing when him and I started working together, which is about eight years ago here in Baltimore. So we're both from Baltimore. We both live in Baltimore. I got into real estate in 2011. I met Craig just a couple of years after that. And that's when we started working together. So it has led us to today. Yeah. And how were you able to partner with someone who is much more experienced than you? Man, in a way it was by chance. So really long story short, I I was just a a real estate agent at the time at a local brokerage here. And Craig had known the broker for many years and was trying to expand his footprint in Baltimore. So he came to the broker and said, hey, here's what I'm looking to do. I want to grow my business here. And just sort of by chance, she, being the broker, said, sounds great. We're happy to help you. By the way, you should talk to uh, one of my guys, Xander, can tell you guys would be a good fit together. And she was the one actually who brought me into the real estate world and had hired me to start as her assistant. I uh, quickly realized I really wasn't cut out for admin work, but 
I definitely had a passion for the real estate business. So we got introduced by chance. We started it on a really small level, just working together, looking at some homes and making some deals. And then within a few years, we had actually reached the partnership level. So, you know, there's always a little bit of luck involved. And then, of course, the work comes after that. So I was lucky to be given an opportunity and then we took it and ran from there. So in the very beginning, your value add to this partnership was pretty much finding the deals and kind of presenting it to them. Yeah, being uh, young and hungry, I was really aggressive, willing to work any and all hours needed to find deals, negotiate deals, and do whatever was needed, get out there and walk them. So that's how it started in the beginning for sure. Yeah. And then later on, you started to have more of a, well, like an equity position in the flips and you got experience that way? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. And then eventually, as we decided to enter into the rental business, also an equity partner there in our rental companies. So yeah, it's been a, an evolution over the course of time, but it all started with the fix and flip world. And how do you guys decide to transition from just doing fix and flips to running your own property management business and then into an actual like turnkey company? We decided to start buying rentals for ourselves, probably similar reasons to most people. When you're heavy in fix and flip, there's just like a saying, you're only as good as your last flip. And the day you stop buying homes, you're going to be pretty much out of business within a few months once you sell off what you already have. Whereas with rentals, once you own a batch of rental properties, it's long-term. You have that consistent cash flow every month, assuming, of course, that the properties are in good shape and they're properly managed. But once you have that, you know you have consistent steady cash flow every month. You're building equity every month and over time. So that was the attraction to us, was really a way to not just rely on fix and flip and not live and die every day on the fix and flip business, especially because this is back in 2015, the flipping space was rapidly becoming more and more competitive. So it, it just made sense to us. And at that time, it was advantageous for us to do so. So that was the, the evolution in the plan. We never planned to get into turnkey. Honestly, we didn't even know what turnkey was until probably 2018 or 2019. So <laughs> it wasn't part of the plan. But then as we reached a point where we have a ton of properties of our own and uh, just like anything, at some point you reach a, a comfortable limit. It just made sense. We're talking about it and thinking about it and say, well, let's test the waters and see if people are interested in buying our rental properties. So that's how it started. And we found out there is actually a huge demand for our product, which is fully renovated and professionally managed from buyers all over the country and actually even outside the country. So it's been pretty fascinating to see as we venture down this road. And once we realized what that demand was, it was a no-brainer. We said, well, let's just keep going. Let's really shift our model and our business to focus on this. And again, so that, that's where we are today. I'd say 90% of our time and our energy is spent inside of this turnkey world. And then again, the occasional flip here and there and wholesale uh, remains as a small exit strategy as well. Can you give us an example of what a good rental deal would look like in Baltimore? Sure. So our average price point is probably... 155000 in terms of when we're selling it. So to the buyer, they're purchasing a brand new renovation at 155000 Our renovations are pretty extreme. Uh, it's typically a full gut reno every time. So it's always new roof, windows, gutters, exterior doors. But then inside as well, we're redoing all the electric. We're redoing all the plumbing. Uh, we're putting a brand new HVAC system with all new ductwork because a lot of these homes, when we buy them, don't even have central air. And then, of course, kitchen, bathrooms, flooring. Uh, so they're totally redone. And what we learned doing rentals ourselves was this is the safest way to have long-term cash flow. 
Uh, when you have deferred maintenance, it's really going to dig into your cash flow when, when things pop up. So by taking this approach, of course, it's more costly in the beginning. It protects your cash flow long term. So that's what you're getting from us on a 150 or 155 purchase. Typically, the rent range for that house is going to be between fourteen and fifteen hundred dollars. So it's really close to a nice one to one ratio, um, and that's going to get you some really good cash on cash returns. You know, everybody has different calculators that they use. So when I use look at numbers, I like to use a 5% vacancy and a 5% maintenance or reserve factor. When you look at it that way and assume a 20% down mortgage, our returns are typically going to be between 12 and 15% as a net cash on cash rate of return. So they're pretty solid numbers. I've been told by a lot of investors that they're better numbers than they're seeing elsewhere. So it's a nice, really nice cash flowing investment for people. Right. And yeah, good point about the deferred maintenance part, because yeah, you are paying a little bit more upfront, but since it's already rehabbed, that's kind of going in the loan itself. You don't have to pay it out of your own pocket. And you know, like my girlfriend recently bought some properties over in Texas and you know, it costs a lot of money to replace your HVAC. And I had a tree that I had to remove from one of my properties too. Yep. Or little things. I mean, even a roof repair ends up three years later, you're replacing the whole roof because it wasn't new. And it was supposed to have 10 years life expectancy left, but now you've repaired it three or four times. And the roofer's telling you like, hey, you probably should replace this roof. We're fortunate inside of our model, we don't have that issue because it's a new roof every time, non-negotiable. And then we've used the same roofer for seven years. So the end product is extremely consistent. Uh, and if there ever is an issue, he just takes care of it under warranty, no questions asked. So it's really great for us as investors in protecting that cash flow. And how is the rental market over in Baltimore? Honestly, it's pretty crazy. From a thousand foot view, there is a really limited supply of quality housing here, especially in the rent ranges where we stay, which is going to be 1300 to roughly 1800 a month. We don't go into like the luxury space. So that, that $2,100 and up is really class A uh, luxury style rentals here. So in our range, which we'll say is a, a B range, it really targets working class families, that, that middle class population. And in our market, it's a huge population. And there's just not enough quality homes for people to live in. So we hear from people all the time that they were looking at our house and they, they had just come from like a two bedroom apartment. Well, obviously a single family townhouse with three levels that probably has three beds and two baths is significantly larger than a two bedroom apartment, uh, which not to mention a lot of people don't want to be in apartment spaces right now, depending who you talk to. So the demand is has been crazy for a while. We get over 50 online tenant leads a day. Our leasing team is like seven days a week and they're just renting stuff left and right. We, we can barely supply enough product to keep up with the demand. So it's a market condition though, for sure. How many rental properties do you guys have under management? Now under management, we're over 360 and those are all single family scattered site throughout Baltimore. Wow. And you guys had to set that, that whole team, right? Yeah. Well, it was easy because we started with one and then quickly shifted to make that again, our main focus. So Probably at our peak, we're adding between 10 and 12 of those a month. It's new rentals that we had just renovated. So of the 360, um, the majority are owned by us, but it's our same management team oversees our rentals and then our new turnkey owners. So the turnkey space, we're providing and adding anywhere between 12 and 15 new properties each month. And again, as soon as the property is finished, it automatically goes into our property management arm or department, I should say. Uh, what kind of software do you guys use to manage all those properties? So PropertyWare is the software that houses everything. That's where our owners have their portals and can see their ledgers and documents and everything like that. 
It's also where tenants will pay rent and communicate. And then we have a separate software, I believe it's called Property Mail. And I actually think they, sorry, I'm not a tech guy, but they feed together. So Property Mail we use for maintenance. So our tenants will make requests through there. They can leave feedback through there in terms of how uh, giving their technicians a rating and things like that. So we do have a full-time maintenance staff. And then the Property Meld software helps them prioritize jobs and, and repairs and things like that. Cool. Yeah, good to know because I'm actually trying to help modernize my dad's property management company here in the Bay Area. So it's good to know what other people are doing out there. Back in the day, we were on Buildium, but it was pretty limited. It didn't, I don't know if it does now, but back then it didn't interact with QuickBooks, which is what we use for accounting. So now property where it interfaces directly with QuickBooks. It's more expensive, obviously, but it's just a much more advanced system. The application goes through there. It's a great software from, from what I understand. And again, my understanding is probably a little elementary, but it's worked well for us. Yeah. And, you know, so Baltimore is actually really interesting because I don't think I know too many people here in California who do invest in Baltimore. Like the hot ones are like, you know, somewhere in Texas or Atlanta or Jacksonville or like whatever. Like I haven't heard of Baltimore and coming from like the Bay Area, it's sad to say, but the only interaction or uh, the only thing I know about Baltimore is from what I saw on the wire. And, you know, it's like, it doesn't look like that's the place to be, but I'm sure it's not like that, right? I mean, there are certain parts that definitely are. I've watched The Wire twice. I, I love the show, but it's like anything. I can't even really think of a comparison, but there's a lot of really great parts about Baltimore. There is a really strong economy here. There's a lot of reasons to invest here. There's certainly some negatives too. So to the out-of-town investor that doesn't know any better, if you were just going to show up here and start buying homes... I would worry for you. I would say you don't really know where you're going. Like you really need to, a local expert boots on the ground to help you. So that's fortunately what we do. Um, I'm born and raised here. I still live here today. Same with my partner. And most, if not everybody in our companies is from Baltimore as well. I have one employee from Pennsylvania, but other than that, you know, we really know the area as well. And that's how we've been able to build with this high rate of success here, the rental portfolio we have. So good question though. I mean, from an outsider's point of view, like if you were just to stare at a map, are there some places that you would suggest that new investors focus their energies on? Or is it kind of like a checkerboard where like you'd never know? It, it, checkerboard is exactly right. It even in certain areas can be block by block. But as a whole, the city is very scattered in every direction in terms of like property values and neighborhood grades. So there's A neighborhoods in every direction and there's all the way down to, let's say, you know, C minus or D, which is not where we invest. We really stick to the, the B neighborhoods, but they're literally in every single direction on the map. So it does get a little tricky for that. But fortunately, we, we figured it out a long time ago. So, we, you know, where to be and where to go. I see. And, you know, during this whole like COVID-19 situation, I'm sure you've had some challenges maybe with acquiring properties or, you know, not knowing what it would sell for. Or what have you guys been doing to mitigate some of those risks? There's been a lot of changes with COVID. I mean, in the beginning, we just had no idea what to expect. So immediately we, of course, had hired or froze any new hires. We sent everybody home and had to adjust to working remote. We had to get all this personal equipment for our maintenance guys and new protocols for just pretty much everything, every end of the business. We were fortunate in Maryland that construction and property management and those types of things all were considered essential. So we never were really shut down, but we did have to adjust a lot of the way we did things. Outside of that, in the beginning, again, to your point, we're worried, are we going to have to adjust our resale prices? Our comps going to drop? So we watched that really closely. And in the short term, we were very or much more conservative on what we were buying. We were adjusting our values down to make sure that 
if values change over the next couple of months, we wouldn't be upside down in the house. Fortunately, that hasn't happened at all. It's been interesting to watch, but sort of like a lot of things, the inventory has shrunk even more than it already was. So I just saw data for June. Baltimore had like 1.2 months supply of homes, and it's nowhere near what is considered normal. It's actually like historically low. So because of that, at every price point, from the low price points to you know expensive ones, buyers are fighting over homes. It's multiple offer situations all the time. So values have not dropped at all. You know, knock on wood. But from March to now, now being July, this, at least of this recording, the values haven't dropped. So we obviously would hope that continues. That's also true on the rental side. It hasn't been any crazy changes in rental prices, but the rental demand has been as high as we've ever seen it for people looking to move. So, you know, again, knock on wood that that continues, but we're very happy with how it's played out. And we've now made four new hires in the past about two months. So we're full swing ahead and full steam ahead. That's awesome. Do you guys have any issues with tenants who are unable to pay rent due to some hardships? Yeah, we, we did have a couple. Our team was pretty proactive at the beginning and we made some adjustments. We went out of our way to let people know we're waiving late fees. We wanted to be, you know, not just a resource, but let people know like we're in this together. We're really on the same team. So it's not a us versus you and you better pay your rent or else. It's, hey, like if you're having an issue, I know some of you may be, let's figure out a solution. So we did have to generate some payment plans for people to get caught up. We sent employment opportunities out, connected people to state and local resources. And that seemed to go a really long way. So out of all the properties we have under management right now, we really have one real troublemaker, knock on wood uh, again. So fortunately, you know, I'd say that they likely will be evicted once we're fully reopened in that sense. Courts have reopened. There's just a backlog now. But other than that one person, everybody else has either caught up or is on a payment plan and they're up to date on their plan. It's good to hear. And in terms of when you're acquiring properties, are you doing some kind of adjustments, like maybe taking 10% off of your ARV just to see the deal make sense? Not anymore. We were in the beginning of COVID, but we've since reverted back to the old methods, which is to use the current comps. So when we close on a house, it's roughly seven to 10 weeks for the renovation. Then we're typically placing a buyer right away. So we, for the most part, are use the comps that we see when we are buying a house are still usable comps when we're actually going to the appraisal time on our resales. So we haven't had any issues on that. Knock on wood again. I hate to keep saying that, but it has been a really good results that we've seen. So we are going to continue using what's actively there, or I should say closed recently for the comps. Yeah. Good to hear that. How does the whole process work? Like, how are you guys finding clients to buy your turnkey properties and how long do you have to wait? Like, does the property sell on the market for 30, 60 days? So we work with a couple of different, I'll say groups and networks that are in the turnkey space and they educate potential buyers on here's how the process works pretty much nationwide. And then they'll connect people to individual markets, depending on what their goals are or what their appetite is for price points. So really any buyer that's looking for cash flow on a renovated property with some modest appreciation and they're comfortable spending between 140 and 200 K they're going to end up probably talking to us here. And again, if it makes sense, if there's comfort level and everything like that, and the numbers work for them, they'll likely purchase a property. That's been our experience for people coming through the two uh, main like turnkey networks that we're a part of. So outside of that, we do have people that just find us online or maybe are have been doing an online discovery of what they're doing now and just stumble upon us and then talk to us and 
end up purchasing a house. And then people might hear us on a podcast or something like that and reach out and want to purchase and we're happy to work with them. That being said, right now we actually have a waiting list of buyers that are waiting for our next batch of homes to be finished. Actually, it's close to, there might be a little over 20 people now that are actively looking to buy with us. You know, we've already been through our introductory conversations. We've vetted each other and have a high level of comfort to proceed. Now they're just waiting for a property to buy. So the demand has been pretty remarkable, actually. And the longer we're doing it, it seems more and more people are coming out or circling back. Maybe people that I met in February or March, and then we're kind of on hold waiting to see how COVID played out are circling back and saying, I'm ready to buy now. You know, interest rates are 4%. I can lock that in for 30 years on a cash flowing property. It's a really good deal. So really good deal. Yeah. People are, are lining up. So it's cool to see. We really enjoy sharing what we do with other people. And what would you say your average client profile looks like? I'd say for the most part, of course, there's exceptions, but you know, they're normally going to be 35 to 50 years old. Typically they're still working and have a good paying job. And they've now developed some savings or some money set aside. They probably already have money in the stock market. They have their retirement accounts set up and they have extra money to invest. And they've typically either know about real estate or have heard about it and are trying to find a way to do it, but they work full time or they have kids. So it doesn't really make sense for them. Or they live in the Bay Area, California, where homes are a million dollars. So they might not have that much capital to spend, but you know, thirty dollars to $40,000 down payment on a house where they don't have to do anything and then they're going to get a 14% return, that's perfect for them. They love it. So that's our, our normal buyer. But I've had somebody as young as 23 that bought with us. I've had people on you know the back nine, so to speak, that are a little bit older and everywhere in between. But for the most part, they're fully employed in a variety of different job fields. And are they mostly based you know out of Baltimore? They're not probably like local to the area? Now, yeah, most are out of state. Got a ton of people from California, actually, but anywhere in between. As far as Hawaii, some in Florida, New York, New Jersey, Chicago area, Texas. So we kind of cover the states pretty well in terms of where people are coming from. And what would you say is like the reason why they would go the turnkey route versus trying to just do it all themselves? The biggest thing I hear is they want passive income. Again, most of them don't have the time to go find a house, let alone then figure out how to rehab it and hire contractors and fight through all that process. And then after that, figure out how to place a tenant, which is not hard to place a tenant, but it's hard to place a good tenant and then manage them, you know, and then keep doing that over and over. For most of these people, that sounds like a, either a nightmare or just unattainable with the way that their life is set up. And even, you know, being in real estate, I still at times I'm like, man, th- this is painful or, or just some of the days and some of the issues that come up, you're like, this is a total pain. So I understand if I was working full-time doing something else and then trying to do this on the side, it just seems really challenging, especially in in a competitive environment like we're in here and in most places in the country where there's a lot of investors in the game. So that's typically why. Yeah, I know as, you know, my own experience, I was trying to do a lot of stuff on my own while working full-time and it's a pain, you know, like even just flipping one house and dealing with one contracting team there's so many things that can go wrong. You guys are doing tons of deals at the same time. How are you able to manage all of those projects to make sure that everything's going smoothly? Yeah, I mean, we have come a really long way with that. So one is just people. Over time, you find some really good people that truly change your business. So that's part one. And there's a painful part to that is when you have the wrong person, you know, you got to make that decision if you need to let them go, or maybe they're just in the wrong seat and you need to move them somewhere else in the company 
So personnel, you know, we've come a long way with that, but there's a lot of strategy to that. So we started the EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, early last year. And it took us a good six months to really get the hang of it. And then from there, just make it a part of our everyday being. So that has transformed our company in a lot of ways. It's given people much more clarity on who does what and who answers to who. So we have an organizational chart. There's a structure of meetings that are the same every week. Uh, it's broken out by department. And then we have a leadership meeting as well. That has allowed, I'll say, the frontline employees to have much more communication and close to a direct line to you know the top level of the company and has allowed a lot of ideas to come up that otherwise probably we wouldn't have gotten to. And then just some software. So Salesforce has been a really big game changer for us. We use that for basically all types of leads. We use that for turnkey buyer leads. We also use that for seller leads for people that want to sell their house to us. And then we've also built out the software called Asana. We use that for our construction management and basically every property has its own board and you can see who's it's assigned to and exactly what the status of the job is. And it's mapped out as you progress all the way through the job from start to finish, you know, what the steps are and you can see if you miss something or anything like that. So by using that operating system and then some software along the way, don't get me wrong, this has taken years to develop, but it's made things much smoother and allowed us to expand more and do more homes at once. I mean, a long time ago, you know, we would only have, I don't know, 10 homes under renovation at any given time. And now we run between 30 and 40 pretty much all the time that are just under renovation. And of course, there's more homes waiting to be purchased. And there's another batch of homes that are now out of renovation and waiting for settlement or waiting for a tenant to move in. So without good people and a good process and some good software, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing now. That's crazy. Having 30 homes out at the same time. I, I can't even imagine that. Like that's a lot of cash that you have out there in work. Yeah, well, that's a big part of it too. I, I should have mentioned that. Yeah, we're in a very fortunate you know, position capital wise. And then with the local bank that we work with for a line of credit. So that's a big part of it too. I didn't mean to glaze over that. But again, it takes time to get to that point. It wasn't like that at day one. Uh, this is you know, years in the making. Yeah. So how are you acquiring and you know, renovating these properties? Are you using your own cash or... We have cash and then an unguided line of credit, which is really the same as cash. So it doesn't show up as a mortgage. Okay. So you just pull it whenever you want. Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. Nice. And that way you don't have to pay the expensive hard money lending fees and points every time you want to do a new house. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And then you're able to sell it turnkey to a list of already 20 buyers or so who are ready to go right away. Yeah. Again, a long time coming, but it's a pretty smooth process right now. Yeah. As smooth as it can be. Again, you're dealing with humans and you're dealing with old homes so there's a lot of you know bumps and either mistakes along the way that you have to deal with, but that's just normal. That's part of the real estate world. What would you say are your biggest challenges right now? Acquisitions is always a challenge. I mean, we're competing with hundreds, if not thousands of other investors here all the time. So we have a whole department dedicated to acquisitions and buying in a variety of different ways. And it's like 24-7, nonstop. It's been a challenge for a long time. It probably, I don't know, seems like it always will be a challenge. Outside of that, you know, we have local challenges like the, with the courthouses being closed, it created all kinds of delays with lien certificates and things being recorded in the public records. So just some title challenges, but that's normal. It just eventually takes care of itself. Outside of that, I was going to say one other thing. I mean, construction, you always have the same challenges there. So contractors not showing up to work when they say they're going to, either doing things wrong or having a bad day, just people stuff. It's half of real estate is 
you know, working with people and, and managing people. So that's a persistent challenge. But other than that, Ben, I think things are pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things that you guys are doing to, you know, make sure your acquisitions is coming on a regular basis? Yeah. I mean, so we measure a lot of different metrics. So like one avenue we call is on market. So that could be on the MLS or auction sites or foreclosure sites, anything like that, or other wholesalers that post a deal on Facebook. So anything that's really on the internet, we have a whole department dedicated to. And then we have a construction estimator in the field who will go to these prospective properties. So we measure that we need to be walking 40 homes a week if we're going to end up buying anywhere between two and four properties a week. And of the 40 that we walk, we need to make roughly 30 offers. Some properties are just going to pass on for whatever reason. So if we make those 30 offers every week, we should end up winning between two and four deals. So we measure all this out and look at it week by week in our department meeting. That's part of EOS, by the way. It's having a clear, defined scorecard for a department so they know if they're doing a good job or not. and They know if they're hitting the goals. So if we only walk 20 homes in a week, we're not going to buy two to four. It just doesn't work. And we need to buy more homes than we end up closing on because some of them are going to fall out. There's going to be sometimes a major title issue. Maybe they need to go to a short sale. Just things happen where you end up not being able to purchase a house. So you need to put more under contract than you're actually going to end up getting for reasons outside of our control altogether. So that's really how we measure it and engage how well we're doing. If we hit our goals, we're doing a good job. If we're not, we need to try to dig into why and what's wrong and what can we adjust. So you have a couple of team members locally who are constantly searching you know, the MLS or auction sites and hitting up those agents saying, hey, can I check out this house? Yeah, that's Lauren on my team. It's actually her full-time job. That's her only responsibility. So 40 to 50 hours a week, she is just hustling online and calling people and checking Facebook and interacting with everybody possible to find potential homes for us to just look at and see if she'll run some preliminary numbers. And if we're even in the ballpark, We'll go out and look at it in person and then come back and decide what to offer and work through that. What would a good deal look like to you guys? A good deal. So, I mean, using easy numbers would be acquiring a property for 30000 It needs a lot of work, right? It's basically unlivable. It probably is unlivable. In our market, we have a really older housing stock. So there are a decent amount of these properties that you know have fallen apart over the years or been neglected or maybe got lost in foreclosure or tax sale or something like that. It's been vacant for several years, whatever the story is. So if we can acquire it for 30, of course, have some closing costs there. We'll spend roughly 70 to 75,000 on the rehab. Uh, That's our hard cost. And then we'll sell it for anywhere between 150, 160,000. There it's unique in this market that there is that wide of a spread in neighborhoods because there's such a wide range of conditions. So the nicest renovated homes in the neighborhood can sell for 150 to 160. And then all the way at the other end, the worst of the worst will sell for 20 to 50,000, really strictly to investors, not to home buyers. Then there's some middle ground, you know, homes that sell 70, 80, 100,000 that are in okay shape. Of course, they're nowhere near renovated, but for a first time home buyer or somebody like that, uh, it could be just what they're looking for. So yeah, it's pretty interesting to see that, but that would be an ideal deal for us. Again, we would prefer homes that need a full rehab so we can go in and do everything to it and do it our way. We really don't like properties that are partially updated because we don't, unfortunately, can't trust other people's improvements. Uh, Don't know if they did it the right way. And plus, if it's three or four or five years old now, don't know how it was taken care of. So we'd rather just start from scratch. Right. So you want to get the worst of the worst and then do the full rehab on it. 
we actually buy uh, some shells here too now. So didn't used to, but now we've figured that aspect out. So we're buying a property right now that literally is a brick structure and there's nothing in it. You can see all the way down to the basement floor and you can see straight up to the roof. It had been vacant for many years at some point had a roof leak and then a major roof leak and nobody was doing anything to it. So at some point the entire interior was scrapped out, the roof was replaced and now it's just an empty brick structure. So we'll put on new joists and at that point it's pretty close to new construction. Is there some like crazy permitting process that you guys need to go through to do all that kind of work? Yes. Uh, you got to submit plans. And once the plans are approved and the initial permit is approved, then we'll do our framing. I have a framing inspection. Then we can do our electrical, plumbing, and HVAC. They all get inspected. Then do your insulation. That gets inspected. Then you can close up into drywall. And then you have all the same inspections again at the end before you get your final inspection, which gives you the UNO. So, you know, luckily, again, we kind of have it down to a system at this point. But if it was like your first time investing here, and you're like trying to figure out the permit system with Baltimore, you would be like, wow, this is crazy. So yeah, they make it hard, but I think that's a good thing. It keeps people from doing, you know, shoddy work. And that's the last thing we need. It gives all of us a bad name. Do you guys have your own contracting team or is everything kind of just subbed out or do you hire a GC for all that work? So we have our project management department and our project managers, they're our employees. They work directly for the company. They oversee a job from start to finish. So they'll each oversee anywhere between eight to 10 jobs, typically at a time. If they're in like six to seven, they're probably a little light, but maybe they end up with like 11 or 12 and they're like pulling their hair out. So eight to 10 is like a nice number. So they will oversee a job start to finish. They'll hire all the subcontractors. So everybody swinging a hammer or, or doing any kind of work as a sub, uh, our project managers are there to oversee them, oversee quality, manage the budget. Uh, we have accounting on the back end that's going to keep it up to date, but they're going to make sure that, you know, the electrician, he says his quote is $6,000. Uh, that's actually what he does and bills appropriately. And then the project manager will approve that invoice. And then, of course, making sure that at the end, the finished product is what it should be. They'll also order materials or approve change orders and everything like that. So they really will, will take a job from start to finish. But then all the physical work is subcontractors. So that list is really long, hundreds of people on it at any given time. Right. And you keep it updated based on how good they work, right? Right. Yeah. Somebody said to me once that every contractor has a shelf life. And that does seem to be true. Everybody's great in the beginning. And some guys have a really long shelf life. Like our roofer has been here for eight years and he's awesome. He does a great job. Very consistent. You know, as you go down the list, uh, other guys, maybe drywall guys or whatever, for some reason, after a while, either get comfortable or they get distracted with other jobs and uh, maybe they fall off the list. So you know, it's an ugly part of real estate, especially in the rehab business. Uh, you, you do have to fire people or maybe threaten to fire them to get their attention. So it happens for sure. Mm -hmm. And how do you get people to join your team on like a salary basis instead of as, you know, like, oh, I'm trying to be an investor myself and do everything on my own? It really just depends on what job we're hiring for and uh, what the person is or does or whatever it may be. So our most recent hire was an estimator. We Our current estimator got promoted to project manager. So we were looking for a new estimator and we're fortunate to find a guy that has been inside of this business for a while and was doing a very similar estimator style role. So the job to him was just a natural fit. So as part of the hiring process, we put him through, it's called a predictive index, which is like a personality profile test, similar to the disc assessment and things like that. You know, really want to make sure that it's somebody who's detail oriented and they're okay 
doing repetitive tasks, right? Because you're walking homes over and over and over all day. Personally, I couldn't do that job. I would burn out in like a month. But this guy, the way he's wired, it's a very natural fit. So, you know, it just depends on, you know, what somebody's looking for and what we have at any given moment. So for somebody to be, you know, in a non-salary position would obviously, of course, be something in the sales world of what we do. And it just depends. We've had some of our salespeople for a while now, actually not really actively looking for a salesperson, but always open to people saying, hey, you know, here's my resume. Here's what I've done. I'd love to have a conversation. We're always open to talk to people and see if there's a way to work together. Mm -hmm. So Xander, now you've been doing this for quite some time now, what would you say is your day-to-day life as an investor? Well, every day can be a little different, but in how things have evolved, my day is really heavily focused in talking to our turnkey investors or potential owners. And then I interact with a few different departments. So each day I have to touch on our acquisitions department because I'm still the one to give the final okay if we're going to buy something or not. So they basically put a sheet in front of me. It says, you know, here's the deal at this price. Here's the profit at this price. Here's the renovation number. Here's the layout. Do you want to buy it or what do you want to offer? So I'm, I'm interacting there, you know, daily, interacting with the construction team daily, just on either status updates or budget approvals or things like that, depending on what the, the job is. And then I have a lot of interaction still with our property management team. So if you're buying a turkey property from me and you want to know what the status is, or I need to set you up to get onboarded or things like that, or if there's an issue to discuss, I have a lot of interaction there. So every day is a little different. Sometimes I got to run out to the field and you know, deal with a big issue, which is not that often. But if there was, I would respond out. But I've been fortunate to be able to work from home for a while now, which I kind of enjoy. And then sometimes though, I still go up to the office, but most of our staff is, is still working from home. This seems to be like a common theme from a lot of successful investors that I've interviewed on my show. At a certain level, your main focus as an investor should be client relations, deal acquisition, maybe not so much on like the actual cold calling, but making sure you have your deal flow going. And also capital raising. That's like what the the bosses do nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you can never stop trying to be good at buying homes. Any deal that you can renovate the house to the highest level and make it perfect. But if you bought it for the wrong price, you're just not going to be profitable. So it all starts with buying a house. That being said, you can do an average job. You can be average at everything else. But if you did a really good job buying the house, you're still going to be profitable. So, you know, it gives you a little room for error, especially for people that are either new to it or early to it and still kind of feeling things out. So that's a good point. And throughout your career, have you ever had a loss on a property? And if so, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from that experience? Yes, uh, quite a few. But one lesson would be, I struggle with this because on the one hand, you want people to try new things and try to venture out. But on the other hand, We've learned we can only be good at certain things. We can't be good at everything. You can't do everything. So you don't want to be the guy that's chasing a shiny object all the time. You know, we found a couple core things that we're really good at. Well, we are not good at building homes. We don't know how to build new construction at all. So when we bought a house that had some major structural issues and our architect came into us to tear it down and just start over, we're like, okay. So we tore a house down and a year later, we still had nothing built and had Oh my God, really long story of multitude of mistakes and issues and things that happened along the way. Let's hear it. The plans were messed up. We were originally trying to work with the existing foundation because at the time it was in good shape, but then it sat for so long and was exposed for so long that it had deteriorated and then was not usable. So then we said, well, if we can 
get rid of the foundation, which of course adds a lot more to the budget. Why don't we build an even bigger house? Well, then we go all new plans, all new drawings, which are not cheap. And we get to the, the permit process and they're like, oh, you are literally like three or four feet over the building setback line. And we're like, what do you mean? So then we go through the hire an attorney to go through the, uh, what's the process called? The variance process at the court. And one neighbor showed up to dispute this variance, which the attorney said, this is a slam dunk. Like no one's going to care. It's three feet. Like you're building a beautiful house. It'll be fine. Well, the next door neighbor had an absolute fit and the judge ruled against our variance. And they were like, I mean, we are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars later and we still have nothing. So eventually we're like, uh, you know what, let's just put the lot up for sale and lick our wounds and move on. So uh, that's what we did. We definitely lost on that deal. And at this point, we have no interest in new construction. This is probably two years later now, three years later. In the meantime, you know, rehabbed a ton of homes without issues. We're really good at rehabbing. We don't have anybody on our team that's done new construction. So if you've never done it, it's not the easiest thing. I see lots of builders that build a ton of homes and clearly they have it figured out. It's not what we do. We don't know how to do it. I feel you, man. I've had some issues myself in the past as well. But if you could go back in time and change anything besides buying it, like let's assume you bought it, what do you think you would have done a little bit differently so you would have the same result? We would have worked with a builder to either partner with us or at least consult us the entire way through so that we weren't kind of, we weren't reinventing the wheel, but we were just flying blind. We really didn't know what we were doing. So by working with somebody else that is in our market and knows exactly what to do, we would have really saved a lot of headaches and obviously saved a lot of money and time. So, you know, that, I think that's true for anything, whether you're getting into wholesale, flipping rentals, you got to be careful because you get online and, you know, you go to bigger pockets, there's a hundred experts and they all have different opinions. So you got to find like one or two people that hopefully are local to you, or at least in the world that you're in. So if you want to invest in turnkey, find another turnkey investor or somebody that specializes in that. If you want to build homes, you got to find a builder and really see how they've succeeded and what they've struggled with and try to learn from their mistakes and then obviously try not to make the same ones. So if we had done that, obviously I think it would have gone much smoother and we probably would have made money still in the deal. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, from your story, it seems like there's some critical parts that you guys could have done differently, like maybe not torn it down before everything was already set. So this uh, foundation wouldn't be exposed. Second one is your architect should have been the one to make sure the setbacks were not like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I'm not really sure what you could do about the neighbor, though. That's just people, right? Yeah. You live and you learn. There's always people, a people aspect of the business, whether, and that's true with your selling, your buying, your renting, your property managing. The people aspect is always there. Well, the good thing is you could always make money back. And, you know, you tend to learn more from the failures than all the success. So, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think another lesson we really picked up on there and just over the years is, Again, I, I sort of touched on this, but you can't try to do too much. You can't spread yourself too thin. Like, you know, you only have so much bandwidth. And I personally feel like I have a lot of bandwidth and, you know, I, I can run seven days a week. I have for many years and I enjoy it. It actually gives me life. But, you know, if you're already working and you're exhausted, it's not the solution. Or if you hate your job, like clearly it's something to reevaluate. So, you know, for us, new construction, there's no passion for us. But whereas walking into an old house, and then coming back eight weeks later and it's like brand new and beautiful. That's awesome. Like we still get excited about it. Every time we get photos back of a finished house, I'm like excited to see it. I'll drop what I'm doing to look at the pictures. It's, it's cool. And we're really proud of what our team does to these homes. I mean, it's, it's really cool. It's great for the end investor. It's great for us. 
Our project managers enjoy it. Uh, it's also great for the neighborhood. So you take, you know, what used to be the worst house on the street is now one of the best. So the neighbors actually, you know, sometimes neighbors are annoyed when you're in the, the renovation, but a lot of times afterwards they'll come and thank our guys and let them know how awesome it is. And they want to see it. They want to walk through. So we love that part of it. So, you know, there's definitely an impact there. And then also to the end user for the, whoever's moving into the house, whether it's a first time buyer or a tenant or, or whatever the story is, you know, they're excited too. It's a brand new house. It's a really cool feeling. So we love that part of it. Absolutely. Well, Xander, this has been a great conversation. Are there any last tips that you could give to our listeners before we end our show today? Our last tips, man, you know, I guess I'll focus on that turnkey aspect since that's my you know, favorite thing in 90% of my world. If you're just not sure or, or if you'd like to discuss it further, I'd really just say to, to get in touch with us. Our website's crmaryland.com. You just click on the, the turnkey tab. It'll take you over where you can sign up to reach out. You can always email me at alexander at crofmaryland.com. Maryland is spelled all the way out. I'm happy to talk to anybody. And even if they're not interested in turnkey, just investing in general, or I have never talked to an investor from Baltimore, I'm happy to talk to people. This is what we do all day, every day. Really, really enjoy it. So, and love talking to other investors, especially ones that I love talking to investors here, but I also love hearing from investors in other parts of the country because it's interesting to hear what's happening in different markets. So, yeah, same here. In a way, you know, we're competing, but we all got to work together as best we can. So that's what it's all about. Perfect. Well, Xander, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review to get updated when the latest episode comes out. A brief summary of this podcast can be found in the show notes at everythingrei.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second, and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks, and have a great day.